Welcome everyone. My name is Mike Kerchuk and I'm a VP of Service Delivery for the West at PQA. Um, what uh, we're doing today is we're going to have our first of a series of PQA panel discussions. That's where we bring together experts in testing to talk about topics that we think are going to be interesting to people out there. For the most part, we're going to uh, try and pull from the internal expertise that we have here at PQA. We really pride ourselves on the depth of, of expertise and experience that we have in testing across a broad spectrum of topics, tools, and verticals. And we really want to bring that together and, and share it. In fact, we have a passion for sharing our knowledge and, and helping making testing a better thing out there. And, and we feel that panels like this will really provide a good forum for us to put our voices out there because not everyone can go and present. Not everyone uh, feels that they're a great writer, but everyone does have really good ideas. As we go forward in, in subsequent pieces of this, what we really hope to do is not only uh, spotlight the expertise that we have internally, both with, with people with great and long expertise, but also some people that, that are new and up and coming and have fresh and interesting ideas. So we think it's really exciting and, and we hope that it works out really well. So, oh well, maybe I'll tell you what the topic is first. So our topic for today is we're going to talk about shift left and shift right in testing. They're, they're brand new, not really brand new, uh, shifting right is, is fairly new on the spectrum, but they're, they're new buzzwords that people are hearing and, and they're uh, trying to provide some benefit and some people don't know what they are. So we want to talk about them, get people introduced to them and help people understand that they're important. To start off, I'll give an introduction to myself and then I'll let uh, each of my panel members uh, introduce themselves and then uh, uh, so myself, I'm the facilitator, and I'm also going to provide some content. I'm Mike Kerchuk. As I said, I'm our VP out here in the West and making sure that we deliver good, solid services. I've been in testing for 22-ish uh, years, um, and, I've, and I've worked across a number of verticals and a number of things, and, and I really do love testing. Um, Nat, can you tell us a bit about yourself? Sure, Mike. Uh, so my name is Nat Quitsuo, uh, and I'm the VP of Professional Services here at PQA. I've been involved in testing and software development for about 15 years, give or take a few, and uh, primarily focused on the more technical side of things. So both in product development, my role was generally in uh, coding prototypes and, and getting those out to, to customers, getting feedback, and trying to understand how tech can solve problems. Um, and my time uh, in quality assurance has spanned everything from performance testing, test automation, consulting around process improvement. And that's my role here at PQA is to recruit talent, sell technical solutions to solve our clients' problems. Awesome. Thanks, Nat. How about Alice? Yeah, sure. Hey, guys. My name is Allison White. I've been in testing for a little over seven years. The majority of my career has been developing quality standards for startups that, um, in a lot of industries that didn't necessarily have any quality standards. I've spent a few years working in blockchain development and quality assurance on decentralized applications. My role, I'm a test lead and I'm uh, executing testing for the safety and productivity solutions at, for one of our clients. Cool. Thank you so much, Allison. Brian, please tell us about yourself. Hey, my name is Brian Doyle. I'm uh, like a counterpart in Eastern Canada, VP of Service Delivery for the East. Been in testing probably for about 17 years and had a couple of years of software development. Specializations, I don't know if I'm a, more of a jack of all trades rather than a specialist. I've been involved in everything, automation, manual, QA assessments, test lead, test manager. I guess most recently, the last four or five years, just basically doing software testing delivery. That's uh, managing vendors, clients, and 
uh, our testing resources. Cool. So that's our panel. We're all uh, bright, intelligent people, I hope, and uh, hopefully we'll uh, give you some good content here. Uh, one of the things about panels is that we can't always get questions from the audience because there is no direct audience. But so what I would like to do is is engage us in social media, send emails and, and et cetera, and, and we can really uh, pump up the conversation after the fact. So let's get this started. Um, shift left, shift right. So those are buzzy terms. And when you go out and you look at the industry and, and you look online, you can find different definitions of what they are. So they're not just like all testing terms and all testing definitions. They're, they're not concrete. You just can't just go to Merriam-Webster and say, this is exactly what it is. They, they shift. So uh, why don't we kick it off by talking about what we think it means when we talk about these things. So uh, let's start with shifting left. And uh, let's start with you, Alice. And tell me what shifting left means to you. Yeah. So with shifting left, I think the entire concept really is taking a different approach to quality assurance and focusing on um, finding bugs sooner, being included in requirement discussions, looking at testing and uh, quality assurance from the beginning to end. And you can kind of begin to uh, set your pathway from the beginning as opposed to coming in at the end kind of thing. So, Okay, cool. Um, Matt, what do you what do you think? Yeah, I mean, shifting left it was a, a concept that came around quite a while ago, I guess, when the early uh, test astronauts or whatever were <laughs> talking about that. But, you know, to me, it was in the early waterfall days, you know, it meant having testers involved in, in validating requirements, looking for ambiguity, and with the end purpose of preventing software that was implemented that didn't meet the end objective of the client or, or user, I guess. And, you know, I think today the term is probably used less frequently. I think the, the more commonly uh, used software development methodologies, Agile or some variation thereof, kind of have that built into it. So you don't hear as much that specific term, even though I think the act of testing earlier and, and teasing out those through grooming sessions and so on, you, is you're in fact doing the shifted left activities as a part of the new way of doing software development. But yeah, to me, it's getting at, at things early. It's putting quality control gates on your early initial concepts, whether they be requirements, wireframes, uh, that type of stuff, anything that's going to lead to your to inputs into your uh, development. Brian, process. do you have anything to add or disagree with? Um, yeah, I'll try to I'll try to add a little bit just and not try to rehash anything that Matt or Allison said. Most recently, you'll see uh, shift left. They talked about how it fits in with DevOps and code review and code analysis and unit testing, things like that. But I think previous to that, it, you know, it, it fits with waterfall and V model. You'll see, you know, it's, I think the premise was basically take your V model and shift it a little bit to the left. And but the underlying thing is that it, it's all about uh, preventing defects. Uh, rather than finding defects early. And finding early is good, but preventing first place is even better. Awesome. I think we're all kind of in alignment. No one's really disagreeing uh, with each other. Some of the research that I've done and some of the people that you hear these days, shifting left is really just a conversation about automation. And it sounds like that, that we're not totally in agreement on that. And, and I think that's cool because I think it is combined. But Nat, why don't you tell us what is the part that uh, automation plays in shift left? Yeah, I mean, I think that automation plays a role in supporting agile teams more than it does in I mean, it, it it achieves your your goal of a shifted left uh, mentality in, in that you're you're testing more frequently, you're testing earlier, you're testing more often. And I'm not so certain. In my mind, I don't equate shifting left with with automation necessarily. I equate 
you know, the, the concept of agile delivery with, you know, I think if people talked about shifting left, you know, 10, 15 years ago, agile was kind of the, the solution to that challenge, right? It's about trying to fail faster or trying to understand where you're missing the mark sooner. And in, in waterfall development, you don't need automation in order to do that. In agile, you, you tend to leverage automated tools to do that. Even in, I've seen uh, automation uh, tools to detect ambiguity and requirements even. And so, you know, from an automation perspective, whether it be for executing tests on code, I guess that's one form of it. If it's executing some form of automated assessment on requirements of stories, you know, that's where it might apply. But yeah, I think, you know, everything that we do from a, from a verification standpoint can benefit from automation. So I don't know, I don't equate, for me, they're not one and the same, but maybe I disagree. Well, let's see. Allison, what do you think? I do agree with some of the points, but I see it as a continuous integration perspective of, especially in my experience, building startups and kind of like setting that foundation. When you set that solid foundation and you have like continuous integration set up, you're essentially like setting the baseline to say like our quality isn't going to degrade past this and you're you're constantly starting with something clean. So yeah, it's, uh, it, it's interesting. I, I don't necessarily think that shifting left is automation, but I think it plays like a vital role. I guess I, I took from your response that, and, and I suspect a lot of people view shifting left or CI pipelines or, or automated uh, post-build verifications as shifting left. My, my view and take on it is that that's just part of the testing process and falls kind of center. You're not, at that point, you're, you know, you're, you have something, you have software, so you're right in the middle of the software development process. So in my mind, it's just about doing your job as a tester right in the middle, not left, you're not right, you're you're testing a code product. Yeah, well, I think that depends on the industry and really where you come in. In my experience, I've had the privilege of joining teams in the early stages when um, you're building an MVP or maybe like the code or you have like some base level code that you're expanding upon. Oh, so I guess early in the product, right. So an early stage product is benefiting from automated tests. So that's early in the development stages of that product. So it's considered shift left. Yeah, typically. Um, and that's been the majority of my career is really coming in and setting that foundation and kind of setting the trajectory um, right at the beginning on what your quality standards are. And I think it's a much different conversation when you're talking about like a pre-established kind of like a, a bloated organization, kind of in the nature of the work that we do now. But yeah, when you're coming in in the, in the very beginnings, there are apples to oranges, I so think. Something, um, something that I've noticed in the conversations out there about shifting left is that I think that I think that you're right, Nat and Brian, and that the term, when it originated, when we started using it, it was about bringing, bringing the testing role further back to the left. And that meant at the time, being part of requirements and being part of the discussion around requirements. Maybe not only that you're, you can test the requirements themselves, but you're at least being part of that conversation during the requirements so that you're building process or a product or a development path that is going to be testable or that you're you're building the right stuff because you're asking the questions early and I think that I think those were the early usage usages and, and I think um, for some old guys like me that's firmly where it rests in my head but I think that these days that the conversation has widened and it's the idea of shifting left it's the idea of that left in the process is moving stuff earlier and so the idea of unit testing and doing uh, lower level testing with uh, integration testing with automation is getting those feedback results earlier so before it's ready for 
for release, before you have a combined package that might go to traditional testing, it's getting that feedback, making sure that you haven't broken anything, making sure that your build actually builds and compiles together and does the right stuff. That's that's all about earlier results and earlier knowledge of, of how things are working. And I think the leftness of the conversation has just widened to embrace more. Brian, is that kind of what you're seeing? And I think that kind of matched with what you were yeah, I was just going to cut in and say, yes, I agree. I agree, Mike. I think it, I think it's changed. It's becoming more of a technical impetus on, on shift left now than, say, five, ten years ago, where it was, you know, test the requirements, test the documents, a lot of manual effort. I think if you, you know, if you ask people now, what is shift left, a lot of it is about testing the code, uh, coding standards, uh, unit testing, automating, continuous integration, just test all those sorts of things. And really testing left now, if you look at the, uh, an agile diagram, either continuous loops or infinity diagram. So when you ask yourself, where is left on that diagram? It's a little bit more ambiguous now, but yeah, I, I agree with it. So I think we've sort of defined shift left well enough to continue the conversation. So let's shift to the right and let's talk, uh, let's try and define shift right. So this time, let's start with you, Brian. What What is shift right to you? It's a newer term. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it is it's quite a new term. To me, again, no expert in the field, but it's shift right means doing testing either in production or post-production environments, things like that. And and when I'm testing, it's, a, it's doing a lot of monitoring and checking. I don't think a shift right aligns with waterfall. You, you're certainly in a waterfall project, which, you know, in a lot of large companies, analysis probably tests that still have a lot of, a lot of places. It, it probably doesn't work well in waterfall. It's probably a DevOps, agile type project that shift right would work for. So it's, it's kind of continuing. Um, it's for rapid testing, continuous uh, code movement into production, and checking in production and giving feedback. That's how I understand. Cool, Allison. What do you think shift right is? So my interpretation would be a bit different. My understanding with shifting right is actually I've seen this in a bit of waterfall projects where kind of coming in once it's been developed and you're doing the monitoring and you're doing the checking, but yeah, it, it happens essentially like after the development phase. So in my experience, I've worked with companies that had both like agile and waterfall waterfall. And for the most part, especially when you're dealing with MVPs and you're kind of like testing the waters with like a, a new technology, you want to have that continuous like feedback and you want validation from your end users. So a shifting right hasn't been something that I've particularly utilized, um, but that's my understanding. Matt? My early encounters with it, I certainly wouldn't have been called shifting right, but my, I think it was about four or five years ago, I was working with a company and they were using, um, you know, they had a continuous delivery pipeline. So their their code would automatically go into production and they would maintain two or three or multiple versions of their production with different changes in it. And they would use their, they would divert a portion of their users. You know, they would keep the core highest proportion of users on the most stable release, but then they would try different changes and then just wait and see, divert a small percentage of their user base to it and then wait for feedback. So it could have been usability problems with it. It could have been broken functionality as a result of the, the recent changes. And so my first encounter, like I thought that was a really clever way to do it. If you have, you know, a large user base and really maybe a non-critical type of software. So you, you can think your LinkedIn's or your Facebook's or that type of organization can kind of get away with breaking stuff or, or putting out things that just to try them out and having a small percentage of users. So when I think shifted right, I think of the situation like that where it's a super clever way to leverage your production environment to give you feedback. You know, I, I, I support a lot of performance testing and some security testing where we often do testing in production settings, mainly because the, we don't want to do a whole lot of performance testing in a non-equivalent 
environment. Uh, same with security. You kind of want every all of your, your defenses up when you're trying to look for vulnerabilities. And so, you know, monitoring a live system for performance, call them slumps in performance or degradation for whatever reason. So maybe you've changed some of your servers over or uh, or made a change to a code base and had it deployed out and you want to reevaluate against that that benchmark in your production systems. So I, I think for, for a lot of your non-functional tests, you, you see it quite frequently. And so I bucket a lot of those as kind of right shifted. I don't know if that's really shift right, but I think according to the, the diagrams and what I've read, those kind of fall into that. Um, and then you look at some of the new visual testing products where they're, they're monitoring, looking for changes as a result of new code check-ins and you know deployment processes. And so I think there's a, a lot going on in that space today. I think they fall into shift right. With my experience and, and the research that I've done and, and the things that I've listened to, there's sort of an overarching concept that holds the different things in shift right and, and actually in shift left two together. And the overarching concept is focus on the user. And so when, when we look at the things that we've talked about, and, and there's a couple more things, when we develop and when we produce software, we're usually doing it in absentia of the end user because you just have to, right? It's really difficult to get that direct feedback. And so shifting right is to try and bring that perspective of the user back into some way and, and the user experience. So, so the stuff that you were talking about, Nat, with uh, sort of a feature flags is the way that I categorize that as your ability to uh, release your code to, to a specific user set. That's one way, right? So you get to see users actually interacting with the code that you've produced, whether it's to find bugs or issues or usability or etc. So, so it's, it's getting that user experience and getting that feedback. Um, things like A-B testing, which is kind of the same thing. You release the same code to, with a different toggle and the same code to two different user bases and see what they're doing. It's analyzing. So everyone's always done monitoring to some extent, but it's, it's taking the stuff that you're monitoring or maybe expanding the stuff that you're monitoring in such a way that you can pull that data back and you can analyze that data and you can say, oh, this is what our users are really doing. And so you can find issues in that way, but even better what you can find or even um, differently, I guess, a different perspective on that is that as a tester, you can get the data from that monitoring to help you understand where users are actually using the software. And so when you go back and you look at your test plan and you decide, okay, I've got 3,000 test cases that I have to go through and do on this, and you can say, but you know what? The users are spending 60% of their time in this area that we've covered with these 25 test cases. Suddenly you're like, well, 25 maybe isn't enough, and maybe we have to go deeper in this area, or maybe we just have to spend more time in this area or allocate some exploratory testing, or et cetera. But it's really, it's, it's that direct feedback from the monitoring that helps you with that. And that's kind of the same when you, when you talk about your non-functional testing that you're continuing on and doing in production. It's analyzing that data to see where are we impacting the users and where can, where can we bring that back. Similarly, it's doing uh, auto smoke testing in production so that you know where things are working well and where they're not working well. The one other thing, the other one other aspect that came to mind around shift right and the user experience is in, in production testing, the reason that we might, one of the reasons we might do production testing beyond just making sure that it's stable once you get out there is that the user experience is often slightly different or vastly different when you get to production. And that's that's because you have different configurations, you have different environments, and, and it, you can't get away from the fact that production is going to be a different world than it was than when you were testing. And so testing, retesting some of the things that you're worried about when you get to production makes a lot of sense to make sure that you've actually tested for the user experience that people are going to see. So one of the things I've seen in Shift Right, because it's a newer term, I've, I've only really seen it out there for the last couple of years, is that, that we're still defining what it is. And it sort of brings me to my next point, which we'll get to in a second. But first, I wanted to see, uh, Brian, was anything that we all talked about is that, that make you want to add anything? 
Yeah, and like the follow up what you were saying about the user experience, a, a user can do something that the developer or the tester has never even dreamed that they might do the, the end application. So if you can uh, get some user data that's created from end users in production and bring that back into the test team or the dev team and they can use that going forward, it, it just creates a broader, more useful data set for future releases or future enhancements that uh, they wouldn't have had otherwise. Before we, I don't know where you're going next, Mike, but another thing that we're going to encounter soon is as systems become more intelligent, the production environments are actually going to be self-evolving. And so I think we'll see an expansion of concept because the systems could change their, their purpose and their state and their, through machine learning, through, you know, as they become more trained in a particular function, they're going to behave differently a year from when they were released and so on, right? And so I suspect that it'll become more important to, to have this type of monitoring and testing through his life, even if you're not interact, even if as a developer, you're not changing it, right? It's going to be and, and I think that's probably a really good point is that it's difficult to parse the amount of data that you can get from learning it. It's difficult to understand what we have out there. So machine learning or AI, if you uh, want to go really uh, futuristic, what it can do is, is help figure out ways to pull that data in and give you results that are meaningful. So moving on slightly, let's talk about the tester's role in these things because we, we've talked about a lot of things. We've talked about automation. We're, we're talking about development. We're talking about monitoring uh, really ops kind of things in people's minds. So don't restrict yourself shifting left and shifting right. What is the tester's role? Does it change? What are the skills that you need? And, and let's start with you, Al. Sure. I think I think maybe I have a bit of a different perspective um, from the rest of the panel as my experience I, I suspect is unique, but typically in in any role in, throughout my career, when, when I go in and I start uh, building the foundation of development and hiring testers, we are looking at like a full 360 of user experiences. So we do that initial demographic research and we take into consideration a lot of the market research, whereas I think typically the roles that we have now, a lot of that isn't necessarily taken into consideration. So typically with testers, initially I, I have them start with like researching the market, researching like competitors, looking at what the competition is doing, what they're doing wrong, and to build a fulsome documentation library of looking at what are the essential pieces of the application, um, what are some things we could potentially be a bit more relaxed in, and then looking at automations. Typically we build out our foundation of essential items that we'll be testing, looking at whether automation is necessary at, at what point, and then really we become involved in getting the feedback and not necessarily like utilizing AI or getting that information from our colleagues, but actually like going out and finding that information for ourselves. So the tester's role, in my opinion, should be like a product expert. Um, they should know the product inside and out. They should understand the demographic and they should be looking at it from their perspectives. Um, regardless of the shift left or shift right, my teams have always strived to be the expert of it. Matt, same question. What was the question? <laughs> so, so there's a lot of different things that we've talked about in this and, and uh, automation development monitoring and, and a lot of those things aren't always the tester's role. So in shift left and or in shift right, what, what are the roles and skills that testers need to really make it successful? I think the starting point of that is that a tester's role is not as limited as it once was. And I think we're seeing a much broader scope 
of work or skill set requirements that a tester needs to master. And you, you can get those things through a team, team of testers or, but you know, if you're in a, in a small startup today as a tester, you need a breadth uh, of skills to accomplish testing from your full left to your full right, if that's the terminology you want to use. And so it means understanding where automation can be used. It means being able to implement it as well. It means knowing how to set up monitoring tools, helping the dev team, because the developers aren't going to know all this either. Their scope is, is increasing as well. Setting up continuous integration pipelines is not something that you used to have to know how to do as a developer. But now, you know, we're, you know, as a testing organization, we're, we're seeing this fall into a tester's scope of work now where you, you'd always rely on a lot of the stuff from the dev team. So understanding how builds are assembled, how, post-build verification, so unit testing, integration testing, business process testing, how to set up automated API tests, monitoring, understanding non-functional testing programs, so performance, security, usability. What's happened is almost, a, you know, your role as a tester has increased its breadth 10, 20-fold from what it used to be in the past. And so I think it's, it's a great time to be in the testing world. And you, you can get to a point where I think nowadays you could actually specialize in a variety of different parts of the testing spectrum. So if you're a CI, CD pipeline expert, you can you can find yourself work where you're just doing that one activity, or if it's production monitoring or A-B testing or user acceptance testing, like you can focus on a single phase of testing and, and uh, specialize in that. Um, but I think the smaller the team, the, the more of those things that you need to bring to the table to prevent defects from, from happening. Cool. Brian. Yeah, so especially if, if you're talking specifically in DevOps, to ask tester to just be a man tester is probably not going to work. I think testers in DevOps environments have to do some upskilling. They have to learn to code. They have to learn about unit testing because the developers are not going to have time to do their development and do their testing. We all know there's already a shortage of skilled skilled labor in IT. So to stress the developers beyond what they're already doing and focus on developing code, the emphasis is going to be put on the on the testers to up their skills. Uh, learn coding, help with unit testing, help with CI, CD, continuous testing, those types of things. And as they do that, their, their skills become broader. As Nat mentioned, maybe then they're also doing, they can either find a niche skill or they can broaden their skills and, and look into performance and pattern shift rate and performance monitoring and things like that. So I think as long as the tester is always honing their skills and improving and, become, and becoming more technical, they're going to be a fair part because I, don't, I think you'd be, developed, you'd be stretching the developers too thin to, uh, to expect them to uh, do all the QA work. I mean, that that will always bring back the conversation of uh, the testing mindset and how well uh, suited developers are for it. But that's not this topic. That's a, that's a different talk. I, I think that that's absolutely valid, and that's definitely something that people have to think about and look at, Brian. But I also think that one of, for me, the tester's role, and it's almost a topic that comes out of the agile discussion, is that the testers just really, really have to make sure that they're an advocate for testing and that they're an advocate for the end users, right? So they're, they're maintaining that within their brain as they're looking at this stuff, which means that when you talk about shifting left, the testers really are thinking about, well, okay, we have these requirements. Are they good requirements? How are we interpreting the requirements? Are we going to be able to use these requirements well? Looking at things like TDD and DD, um, behavioral-driven development and test-driven development, to start having those requirements conversations earlier, to make sure in sprint planning that you're standing up and you're looking at the task cards and you're asking questions so that's not a simple five-word task card that someone gets to go away and just 
interpret on their own because that will always um, end up with people doing something that isn't necessarily the interpretation that was the original intent. Making sure that when you're talking about automation, you're thinking about doing the right automation and you're spending your resources in the right areas for that automation that's going to give you the right direction. And then the same way is if you're doing a complex product that has a complex release process, start bringing in and advocating for the stuff that you can do in the shift right. And don't think, and, and I guess this contradicts you, Brian, but don't think you have to know how to do everything. It's a team. Agile's bringing the team approach. Talk about what you want to do and work with the team to find someone who has the skills to do it. Any other feedback? Any Anything someone has said that one wants to respond to? I do like your description of quality assurance being the advocate for the end user. I think QA does a really good job of understanding that demographic. And I always say an application can be fantastic, but if your demographic can't utilize it or use it or have that level of usability, then it's it's difficult to be successful. So. Yeah. Okay. So uh, we're, we're coming up on the end. So I'm going to do one more question and then we can just have a, a, a short wrap up. So the one more question is, uh, it's really easy for everyone on this call and, and the testers out there to agree with, you know, advocating for the user and making stuff better. And, and that all sounds great to us. But the question that I think that we should also help the people listening to address is, how do we convince management that investing in, in the concepts that we're talking about is worthwhile? What things can you say to management to make it a valid conversation and, and get some time around it to help them move it forward? So let's start with you this time, Brian. Well, I think that's a, we're a service company, so it's a, it's a trickier sell to sell to our clients to shift left and maybe a bit harder to convince. It's probably, say it's easy, but it might be slightly easier for a QA manager or influencer in a product company because that way you can help to transition the whole product team or the whole company to that mindset to one a company when you're providing service is a little bit tricky and I'm not sure that we will have successfully convinced them. I mean we can you can show statistics and talk about how it's going to reduce defects and, and prevent defects, but in the end we all come to dollars and uh, how onward your uh, your leadership is with your client and how forward thinking they are and uh, you know if they're into a digital transformation and DevOps, it's easy to sell if they're a little bit more like large companies who are very slow moving. Yeah, or something. Cool. Nah. I was holding back because I kind of I felt like I'd be in there. But I, I, I think for those who are already operating in an agile way, and so you're the startups that we interact with, the uh, what's called progressive organizations, I don't I don't think they need convincing. It's more about helping out and, and figuring out the how how they're gonna do. When we talk to those companies who are, are already operating in an agile way, it's about making things better or expanding the scope of things that you're checking. So making you go further left or further in this most of that's further right. It's helping them achieve that and it, you know it doesn't need to be justified. I think the ones where where it's hard to justify are, are the, the fossils and industry who who are still doing their development waterfall style. or And I think you're always going to have some of that on non-trivial systems. Like there's just large systems out there that don't work in a delivery or in a, an agile context. You just can't make significant changes to a large complex system. But it's not to say that they can't benefit from some of these concepts and convincing them, you know, it's slow. But I think at the end of the day, it always comes down to risk mitigation. The reason for taking some of these initiatives on and, and putting them in place is to mitigate risk of things going bad. And, and I think our jobs as quality advocates is always to try to find those pain points and those things. Well, you know, if, if it goes out like this and something goes wrong with these financial transactions or other things, that, that something bad will happen. And it's finding where the risk is in, in this uh, delivery scenario. But, you know, that's the approach that I like to take when I'm, when I'm trying to find 
budget to, to do things in a new way. Cool. Thanks, Nat. Uh, okay, Allison, same question over for you. How do you talk management into it? Yeah, so I think Nat really covered it with the mitigation of risk, but we're fortunate in our project that we have pretty good advocates from a higher level. So talking to the um, executives on the project or the program managers and really illustrating what the stakes are. And I think the nature of the project is also essential in what kind of adoption that you'll get, particularly with my project where we're dealing with safety, that the stakes are very high. So making that argument and illustrating those risks are a bit easier than say uh, like different projects. But yeah, getting advocates on your side that are outside of QA has been really beneficial for us. And then really developing um, an understanding with the rest of your agile team or your non-agile team about what your goals are and and really what that means to you. And I think when that translates to your colleagues, it, it's a bit of an easier sell. Yeah, and, and I think that it's right. Uh, what you guys are saying is, is right. A few extra tips maybe. So one is understand what shifting left and shifting right are well enough before you even start down that path so that what you can do is you can you can watch for some of the classic issues that a theory helps resolve so so too much rework on issues can help uh, move requirement testing further back or not really matching the goals when you hit production and stuff like that so spotting those classic issues and then coming back hey there's a solution out there for that right and and talking about having that discussion another way is is figure out ways to start small define some success metrics around it and then demonstrate that they work right so say hey look if we make this change in the way that we do our requirements we're going to be able to see this much improvement and then define those metrics. And there's lots of ways that you can do that, but start small with pilots and iterate because you don't have to jump into the whole thing all at once. Um, maybe a really good idea in, in shifting right is there's already monitoring data out there. Do some analysis and find a way to show value in that. And then that can be the thin uh, tip of the pie that helps you uh, wedge in and, and get more of it done. Okay, so we're, we're pretty much out of time. What I would like to do is, is give each of you like 15, 20 seconds. Just tell me what is the most exciting thing about Shifting Left, Shifting Right for you? What are you going to learn next about it? Well, I think the most exciting, I haven't I haven't formally used that terminology, so it was really interesting to be able to research and get a better understanding of the applications of it. So for me, the terminology and really like seeing the different interpretations and including that and in, in moving forward is, is pretty exciting. Awesome. Thanks, Austin. Uh, Brian? I think for me, we're um, based technology and things moving forward and seeing a transformation happening everywhere. I'm looking forward to my first hands-on full DevOps project. I mean, I've been on lots of projects where we did Agile and we talked DevOps and there were some people projects and uh, prototypes, but my first uh, full-fledged large-scale project DevOps. Cool. Yeah. To Brian, uh, they, they do exist. There are some organizations that are doing large-scale Agile and, and DevOps and have these pipelines really finely tuned. They're just, I think they're, they're a bit rare at this point. Yeah, for me, the fact that we're, we're seeing a lot more of this is the tools are a bit slow to reach the market that are supporting all, all these new testing activities that fall into this shifted left, shifted right arena. But in the shifted right area, you're, you're starting to see a lot of the AI machine learning based algorithms being applied, you know, self-healing tests. You've got smart monitoring of apps, whether it be through constantly applying business process, clever creation and expansion of test data. So test data studios now that have intelligence built in to start to produce data sets on its own. You know, these are the things that excite me, like seeing the tool space kind of change and catch up to 
these activities and just make testers' lives a lot better and a lot more productive. And at the end of the day, to enable and empower those who do quality control, quality assurance in the software industry to do a better job getting software out with fewer defects. Because, you know, we're still seeing failure rates. We're still seeing a lot of problems in complex systems. So I think we figured out kind of the, how to deploy simple software, but, you know, big systems still see a lot. Thanks, Nat. That was by far the longest 15 seconds I've ever endured, um, but you had some good thoughts in there. So I would, I would like to thank everyone uh, on the panel. I would like to thank everyone out there for listening to us, and I really would encourage you, so where this gets posted up, there'll be links to our social media, there'll be links to ways to provide feedback or questions, so please do start a conversation with us and, and tell us we're wrong, tell us we're right, and we can all uh, figure it out together. But for that, we'll bring this to a close, uh, our, our inaugural QA panel uh, discussion, and we'll do one again. So thanks, everyone. Goodbye.